um, this uh, young fellow Dean here in front is my nephew, uh, the youngest one. And, and so when we get together at my mom and dad's house, um, one of the first questions that my nephews, Dean and Clint, both ask me is, Jesse, can we wrestle? Because I like to wrestle with the boys and it's fun and kind of throw them around and try not to hurt them and that sort of thing. And, and I don't know if you noticed, but standing here in the front, they, they know that they're in church and they know that we're probably not going to wrestle, but I can just see in Dean's eyes the whole time the question, can we wrestle? And I just love it. And I'm so excited that you all are able to bring your children here and that all of us together can, can be here. And, and we have all kinds of different classes and, and opportunities and groups to, to teach everybody who comes as much as we possibly can about Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited, uh, excited to see the children, excited to see you all, and glad that we have this time now to, to be together and, and study God's Word. Now, Anthony talked about how this afternoon Bible quizzing is going to be here. And uh, the quizzers have been studying through the stories, uh, the Bible stories of the life of Moses. So some Exodus and some Numbers and, and, and different, uh, different events being recorded there. I have a uh, trivia question for you, just to kind of get warmed up. See if any of you know the answer to this one. Since this is quizzing today, here's your trivia question. What is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all record one miracle. Do any of you know which one it is? Shout it out if you know the miracle that's in all of them. Feeding of the 5,000. How many of you who are shouting out knew that it was the feeding of all of you who were shouting out, right? Jesus fed 5,000. It says specifically in the text, 5,000 men. And so there were likely women and children there as well. So the crowd was 5,000 men plus whoever else had come along. But Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. That's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of course, there are lots of stories about Jesus that are recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but maybe John didn't decide to write that down or else John and Luke wrote it down, but Matthew and Mark didn't decide because what does, what does one of the Gospels say? If everything about Jesus were to be recorded, it would fill all the volumes of, you know, there's no possibility in writing down everything that any person does, and certainly not the entire life of Jesus. But all four Gospels record the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Today, we're going to be looking through John 6, which is the chapter where that event is recorded in the Gospel of John. And that's the beginning of our context for today. So Jesus fed a crowd of 5,000. And then Jesus knew, it says in John chapter 6, after that feeding of the 5,000, Jesus knew that this crowd, thousands of people strong, wanted to make him king by force. And so he withdrew to a mountain by himself, which is an interesting thing to do. If, if people want to make you king or if they wanted to make you queen, how many of you would just run for the hills? A few of you would. How many of us instead would say, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good gig. Maybe I'd be a good king. Maybe I'd be a benevolent queen. Maybe we could finally make a difference here. Jesus withdrew to a mountain by himself. Now, Jesus is already a king. He knows this. But this is not how he's letting it work out. He is not subject to the whims of the crowd. His kingdom, God's kingdom, is on God's terms. And Jesus knows the crowd cannot be trusted. It's a fickle crowd. And it's just been impressed with a miracle. And Jesus withdraws, we're told in John chapter 6, to the mountains by himself. 
but we're getting ahead of ourselves, all right? So John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. The crowd wants to make him king. He withdraws, and then later that night, we're told that Jesus walked on the water, so there was this big miracle in front of thousands of people. Now there's this miracle in front of probably just a dozen or so of Jesus' very closest followers. He walked on the water. Jesus showed his abundance in feeding the 5,000. Jesus showed his power over nature in walking on the water. Jesus' miracles first to the crowd and disciples, now just to the small group of disciples. And what you'll see in John chapter 6, if you want to dig a little deeper and just think about some structural kind of stuff, you'll see that John 6 is laid out that there's a miracle with a crowd and the disciples. That's the feeding of the 5,000. Then there's a miracle just with the disciples, Jesus walking on water. And what we'll see today then is after those two miracles, there's a dialogue with the crowd and the disciples. And then we're going to end with a dialogue between Jesus and the disciples, just those 12. So here we are, John 6, starting in verse 28, a quick background. The crowd asked him, what must we do? What must we do to do the works God requires? And in verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. We talked about this last week. And so the people ask in verse 30, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So before we even get into our text for today, we see this crowd, which remember, remember the setting here. If you were Jesus going through these events of John chapter six, and right now the crowd is saying, what are you going to do? What miracle are you going to give us so that we'll believe in you? Jesus would have yesterday fed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and a couple of fish. This crowd that's talking to him is largely that same group of people because yesterday, Jesus fed them all. There were no food trucks out there. There were no restaurants that were open. They were in the wilderness. And certainly this crowd would have recognized that there weren't like tons and tons of food being carried in. They were fed yesterday. Jesus and his disciples crossed the lake last night. And now today, the people woke up, realized Jesus wasn't there, so they scurried around the lake to find him again. And now the people are saying, Jesus, what are you going to do? What sign are you going to give that we may see it and believe you? See, they saw yesterday, but seeing is not always believing, is it? You see the fickleness again. I like that word, the fickleness of this crowd. Their allegiance says, as long as you impress us, we will follow you. They, they said, Jesus, way back in the day, God sent manna down from heaven to our ancestors. God sent manna while we were out in the wilderness, and that's how we believed in him. They're saying to Jesus, what are you going to do? And I wonder, I wonder sometimes how Jesus held his tongue. Maybe he said things that were not recorded. Maybe we don't have every line of the dialogue, but it just seems to me that my response to these people would have been manna, in the wilderness, thou, were you not? Don't you remember just yesterday? But these are the people Jesus is around. Jesus said to them, John 6, 32, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, verse 34, they said, always give us this bread. In other words, fill our bellies. We don't want to be hungry anymore. But all they're thinking about is the physical. Feed us every day. And it's this foolishness that prompts Jesus to say the next line. John 6, 35. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you don't believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. What people need for life and what Jesus is telling them about is this sustenance that he gives them in their spirits. Yes, he can feed them. We saw that yesterday. There were even basketfuls of bread left over. But Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm going to give you something. When you come to me, you will be so filled up in your being that spiritually you'll never hunger and thirst again. Jesus goes on and gets more specific. John 6, 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. Jesus says, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to raise you up even at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. God took the initiative and sent Jesus to earth. People don't get anywhere without God sending Jesus in the first place, right? God loved us that much that he sent his one and only son. But God sent his son Jesus, and then the people need to decide whether they're going to look to Jesus and believe. Now, some Jews who were there began to complain and grumble about this teaching. We see this in verse 41. It says, at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now, it was not only Jews in this place, but, but there were Jews among the crowd. And the Jews there began to grumble because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, wait, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? This is interesting because even though yesterday he multiplied all those loaves, and, and he, he gave food to all those people. Now the people are, are starting to, there's another group just pushing back. Wait, isn't this just, isn't this just Jesus? Isn't just this, this kid that we've known forever and ever? See, family ties don't define us. Whether you want them to or not, family ties do not define you. Be careful, you expert players of the Mennonite game. There are probably a few of you in a room this size who don't know what the Mennonite game is. And so if you don't know the Mennonite game, let me describe it to you, because this is how it was described to me 20 years ago when I came to this Mennonite church, having grown up in an area full of lots of Mennonites, but not in a Mennonite fellowship myself. This is the Mennonite game. It is when you show up at, a, at an event, particularly a church event or an event kind of oriented around Bible and religion. And so you show up at an event where it is largely a Mennonite group. And, and when you say hello to someone and you introduce yourself and you get your name and get their name, the Mennonite game kicks in when you say, and who's your father? And wait, is your mother? Oh, is your mother that Mary. Oh, wait. And which church did they go? Oh, they went to Maple Grove. Oh, they went to Lit. Oh, I, oh, you're from the Delaware, <laughs> Schwartz and Drubers. You know, I mean, there's this whole thing and, and, it's, and it's not evil. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing. But over the years, it, that's gotten to be named the Mennonite game, especially among Mennonites, because it, it can be especially frustrating for young people who are saying, look, I, I don't really want to be identified by who grandpa was or where he went to church. Like, see me for me. There are other people who love it because they love their family. And there's value for us in that heritage that's been passed down to us. So, you know, there's, there's two sides of the sword here. 
But there's this, this thing, where do you belong? Where do you come from? And, and there are some of us in the room who are glad to claim it. Yep, that was my dad, my mom, that's my grandfather, my grandmother. Yep, they were a rascal. Yeah, we came. There, there are some of us who have long ties back in, in, in through the, the tangled web of faithful folks who tried to serve the Lord well. There are some folks, and, and, and we go through that game, we say, yep, this, that's me. There are others of us in the room who would rather not be associated with any people who have come before us because they didn't treat us well and their hearts were not at a good place. In fact, maybe, maybe they treated us so poorly that, that we've just never wanted to be close to them. Or, or maybe some of us are ashamed of our past. Some of us don't have that kind of a faithful lineage to point to, right? I mean, some of us in this room, you are the first one in your family to ever give your heart to Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. And so while you love your family, you're not, you're not standing on their shoulders. You're simply standing before God because God has filled your heart, remade you, and given you a new family. See, the, all those family things can get really complex for us because we come from different situations. We should be able to identify with what Jesus was dealing with here, shouldn't we? All these Jews begin to grumble. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven, they're saying, wait, came from heaven? Really? I thought he was from Quarryville. Right? Don't we know him? We know his mom and dad. We know where he came from. This came down from heaven. Here Jesus is being belittled by these folks because of his background. How did Jesus answer? Verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves. Underline that in your Bibles. If you've got it open or if you've got a device open, just highlight that. That's probably good instruction from Jesus for all of us, all the time, forever. Let's just commit to stop grumbling among ourselves. So many of us are looking forward to feasts and parties tonight. There are people around our world who are freezing, starving, and dying. There should be no grumbling. There should be no grumbling, even if we were to just count the blessings of the world. But congregation, we don't just have the blessings of the world, do we? We know the blessings of Jesus Christ. Everything's not perfect, but let's avoid grumbling. Just as Jesus instructed these people, stop grumbling among yourselves. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It's written in the prophets. They'll all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, Jesus says in John 6, 47, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. We've talked the last few weeks about some theological terms. If anybody likes the terms uh, election and predestination, oh, there's some fun stuff in here. We're not going there today. But if you'd like to talk about that, you have my phone number and email address at the top of your bulletin. But Jesus says, here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This is a boss move by Jesus. 
Jesus makes no apologies for his exclusiveness. You know, in John 14, 6, a couple chapters after what's written here today, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. None shall come to the Father except through me. Here is Jesus making no apologies for who he is. But here is a perfect invitational exclusiveness. He says, only those who come to me may have life, but all may come to me. Jesus wasn't just building a club for people he liked who were luckily born into some special privilege or who had the right name or the right heritage or the right kind of way to play the game. Jesus opened his arms to all. He said, God has sent me and all who come to me, I will not turn away. Jesus opened his arms to all, but what's really interesting and what we're going to see here in just a moment in John 6 is that Jesus lived with these people's decisions. Even people who rejected him, he allowed them to do that. Jesus didn't apologize for the consequences of their actions. He didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't believe in me, and now here's the consequence. He just said, hey, come to me. Come to me. And there will indeed be pain for those who do not. But Jesus says, come to me. I'm inviting you. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The one who believes has eternal life. Now, it's interesting, Jesus talking with these Jews, and we've got this bread thing, and they've talked about manna and all that kind of stuff. Just a little bunny trail. Go on this bunny trail with me for a minute. Some of you who have been studying the Old Testament and Exodus and Numbers and all that may remember a bit of this passage. In Exodus chapter 16, Moses is with the people. The people of Israel have left Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea, and now they're out in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And in Exodus 16, starting in verse 2, it says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. This is is 1,500 years before Jesus, okay? 3,500 years ago. But God has led the people with Moses away from, let my people go, that whole thing, right? Now they are free. But in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. In the NIV, it's that same word. Jesus says to the Jews, stop grumbling. Now we're reminded that, They had done it before. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Oh, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. This is the complaint that initiates God sending manna. Exodus 16, we see the first story of God at night sent down so that in the morning these people could gather this manna. Manna means, basically means, what is it? It's a kind of a, kind of a seed, kind of a flake, kind of a thing that they could make into bread and all that kind of stuff. Every morning, God was faithful and gave them manna, and, and there was a double portion on the sixth day so that they wouldn't have to collect it on the Sabbath. But God gave them manna, and this is how they survived in the wilderness as they traveled. And sometime later, you can read this through Exodus and Leviticus and and Numbers. Sometime later, these same folks, this same congregation, hundreds of thousands of people out in the wilderness following Moses, following God's pillar of fire at night, pillar of cloud at day. These people came to the verge of the promised land, and they sent spies into the land to scout it out for 40 days. Do you remember this story? They sent 12 men, one from each tribe, to go into the land. They said, this is the land God has promised us. They're across the river. We want to go see what's going on before we lead everybody in because we've got this whole nation behind us. 12 men, go see what's going on. Scout it out. 
And these spies went into the land for 40 days. They came back and they said, indeed, this land is flowing with milk and honey. And they brought back some of the fruit and they talked about how good the place was and how good the fruit and the produce was. But 10 out of the 12 scouts says, but we'll never make it. The people are too big for us. The folks who are there, we, we, look like, we look like flies in their eyes and in our own. We look so small and insignificant and tiny. There was all this complaining. We look like this. We look like that. We feel that just we're never going to be able to do it. We, we, 10 out of the 12 said that. Joshua and Caleb were faithful, though. They said, no, we can do it. But, but here's how the people responded. This is Numbers chapter 14. We were in Exodus 16. We remembered how this whole community grumbled against Moses because they were hungry. God gave them manna. This night in Numbers 14, we see that that night, all the members of the community after this scouting troop got back and, and word began to spread about what was going on. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron again. How would you like to be Moses and Aaron? All you're doing is just leading this nation of people through the wilderness, following after God, but it's nothing but grumble, grumble. We're hungry, oh yeah. And now it's, oh, the land looks great, but we're so weak. What do they say to Moses and Aaron? If only we had died in Egypt. It would be better to be dead than to be here with you. That's what they're saying. If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? You know, better to be slaves there than plunder here. What is going You can see the fickleness of the people, right? It says in Numbers 14, 4, that all the people said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They refused to see that God was their provider and their strength. And then if you go down Numbers chapter 14 to verse 26, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness." For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. They said, they said, oh, God can't possibly be with us. God's promises are not coming true. The land is great, but the people are too big. We're too weak. We're not strong enough. God says, you want to know what it's like to be weak? Bang, dead in the wilderness. And in fact, the 10 scouts who had gone in, who brought back a bad report, it says they died of a plague right away. They didn't even last out their number of years. That's what grumbling looks like in Israel. And now as we come back to Jesus' day in John chapter 6, verse 52, we see that the same things are happening. And by the way, let me suggest to you that, let me suggest to you that part of the reason why we are so interested to know as Mennonites where people come from is that we feel like we can learn something if we know who your parents are. Because if your parent was trustworthy, we assume that you might be too. If your parent was a scoundrel, we can keep one eye on you. I mean, isn't that why you ask who somebody is, where they're from, what do they do? These are the games that we play with ourselves. 
Well, there's some indication here that that might not be such a bad idea. John 6, 52, 1,500 years after these Israelites grumbling in Exodus and grumbling in Numbers, now back to Jesus' day, it says in John 6, 52, the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to him, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now, at this time in Jesus' ministry, he hadn't instituted communion yet. He hadn't yet gone through the very first time of the bread, this is my body, the cup, this is my blood. He hasn't done that yet. Here Jesus is just talking. He says, look, in me there is life. And on hearing this, verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Hey, church, is Jesus too hard? Those of you who have been following for a while, is it just too hard to follow Jesus? How many of you have experienced that? Look, life is not easy automatically just because we follow Jesus. If we expect health and wealth and comfort because I've given my faith to Jesus, well, you're barking up the wrong tree. That's not going to come in this life. But is following Jesus too hard? Is it too difficult? You older saints in the room, those of you who have been living with the Lord for a long time, is it just, is it just too much work? Is there anybody who's going to testify to me right now and in front of all of us and just set us straight and tell us, leave this Jesus thing alone. It's just not worth it. Anybody willing to make that testimony today? How many of you are on the other side of the coin? How many of you would say that, well, life is sometimes hard, but with Jesus I find strength. With Jesus I find peace. With Jesus I find that he's never put on me more than I've been able to carry. Anybody testify to that one? This side's testifying really well. I don't know what it is here about the south side of the congregation, but maybe the sun comes in and just lets you... A lot, of, a lot more amens over there than here on the north side. Boy, this would be a fun social experiment, wouldn't it? <laughs> These Jews look at Jesus and say, Jesus, this is just too hard of a teaching. Many of his disciples said, who, who can accept this? Aware, verse 61, that his disciples were grumbling about this. Grumbling again. There's that word. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Jesus says, are you offended? Well, what if you see me go right back up into heaven? What then? Oh, isn't Jesus fun? I mean, here's a person with some real spit in him. Real, real spunk, real fire, real grit, real dirt, real juice. Does this offend you? What if you see me ascend back to heaven where I was before? And then Jesus says in verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Jesus comes back to these people. He's been talking about how his body is, is the bread of life, talking about how he can give life and sustain people. And now he comes back to them and says, look, your flesh counts for nothing. Do you remember the original question they asked? They said, what work do we have to do? To... And Jesus says, your work is to believe. Jesus is coming back to that idea. He says, the flesh, not Jesus' flesh, human flesh. The flesh counts for nothing. Our flesh is temporary and corrupted. Our bodies, our deeds, they don't earn us life. Our flesh, we have the, we have the DNA in us that, that could give everybody a perfect insight to our little Mennonite game if we wanted to play it. This little DNA that, that makes us who we are, Jesus says, that's nothing. 
The Spirit gives life. This should be a relief because we are all broken, no matter where we've come from. We are all broken. We have all gone astray. Were any of you at a funeral yesterday? Did any of you get to hear Steve Wingfield speak just a little bit at that funeral? I did, and I wrote down everything he said. I'm going to copy some of it to you right now because there is truth here. We are all broken. We have all gone astray, even the best of us. Great line delivered by Steve yesterday. He said, we look around and say, yeah, but I'm not as bad as that guy. And Steve Wingfield, the great evangelist, said, and you're probably right. But you are no Jesus. None of us can save ourselves, our good deeds. All of our good deeds are like filthy rags compared to the perfect light of Jesus Christ. All of us need a Savior to give us real life, and Jesus has said, I am that. I am the bread of life. Jesus says, come to me. Other parts of Scripture, he says, has all kinds of different invitations. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Here, Jesus simply says, the Spirit gives life. I am the bread of life. I've been given for you. Now look to me and believe, and you will be saved. All of us need a Savior to give us real life. Do you know this Savior? Any of you in the room, if you don't know this Savior, I'm going to take just a moment. Let's be quiet. There's not a lot of quiet in our world these days. But let's be quiet. And if any of you don't know our Savior yet, it's, it's easy to look to him and believe. Just, just ask him, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And Jesus, would you be my Lord? God, thank you for giving us the opportunity to come to you through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit and and draw us closer to our Lord. And Lord, for those who have been wondering and waiting and hesitating and, and just, Lord, I pray that you would somehow break through in such a way that everyone here and everyone within the hearing of my voice would turn their lives to you, lay down their filthy rags that we have been so proud of, Lord, let us find our identity in you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a Savior. Amen. Jesus says, these words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. That was the end of the prayer, not the end of the sermon. I've got a couple more minutes yet. Hang in with me. I know it's warm. I know you've got things to do, but I think this is going to be worth it. Look at what Jesus says. These words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. But look at verse 64 of John chapter 6. This should be encouraging to all of you who have ever tried to tell someone else about Jesus, but it didn't work. Look what Jesus says. There are some of you who do not believe. Jesus yesterday fed over 5,000 people. Jesus walked on water. At the speaking of this verse, Jesus had walked on water last night. Jesus answered every question perfectly. Jesus didn't make any mistakes when he talked about God, and there wasn't some part of the story that Jesus didn't know. Jesus has an opportunity to speak with these people. He's hearing from them. He's right there. And yet, there were some who do not believe. Those of you who feel called to be evangelists, those of you who feel called to be teachers and preachers, those of you who feel like God has given you the gift of prophecy, do not ever measure your gift by the response of the people around you. 
Because even Jesus in the flesh, watched from the front row, was rejected. And not only by some of the knuckleheads in the crowd, but by one of the 12 disciples, Judas Iscariot, whom he had personally called himself. Don't be discouraged when people don't believe you. Don't let the world of unbelief consume you and don't let your compassion kill you. There are some people who choose not to believe. It says in verse 64, for Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. Jesus knew and for the time being let it go and it didn't corrupt him or contaminate him or consume him. Our Savior is amazing. God can use anything for good. Jesus went on to say, John 6, 65, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. See, there were the core 12 disciples, and we know their names. They're called out, and, and, and we follow them through the Gospels. But there was this whole other crowd of disciples. Disciples is just a, a name for a person who follows a teacher. There were thousands of disciples following Jesus up until this time. But now people are starting to say that it's too hard. People are starting to say that it's not worth it. We see in John 6, 66, interesting, any of you like the symbolism of numbers, that John 6, 66 says that from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I wonder if any of the first people who put numbers on verses chuckled when that came up. But there were these people who were following Jesus, and then they stopped because this was just too hard, it was too real, and it wasn't what they were looking for. There's a football game on TV tonight. It's not a bowling match. It's on Channel 29. You can watch it for free. But some people just have to be there. What are they paying? I looked on StubHub this morning, just in case I got a, an offer for a free flight to Phoenix this afternoon. The, uh, the cheapest secondhand seats that you can buy on StubHub right now this morning, now this is an official ticket place. These aren't black market. This is like a real market. The, the cheapest seats that you could buy as of this morning were $2,800, $2,800. And those are in the extreme upper deck. Now, we know that those are the most desirable seats. That's how it is here. Everybody wants the seats in the very back. <laughs> Lily, I... I don't know what it is. You're a lovely girl, and I didn't even notice that you smelled bad or anything, but nobody's sitting beside you. Kenny, I don't know what it is. Nobody wants to sit beside you. That's how it is at the Super Bowl. You watch tonight, there'll be scads of open seats right in the front. Nobody wants to sit there. But they can ask $2,800 for a seat in the back all the way up in the top. I guarantee you they're not going to see anything better than what I see tonight. Why do people pay $2,800 just to be there. Why, why are there some corporations that are spending one and a half to two million dollars just for a luxury suite in a stadium for a couple hours tonight? Why? Why? Well, there are some people who just have to be there. Typically, those are just the words of a poor storyteller. Well, you had to be there. But for some, it's true, right? There are some people who just want to be right in the action. I, I, I just, just, just get me there. Let me be on that same ground. Jesus fed 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish. People saw this, and they had to know it was a miracle. Jesus has shown himself to be king. He walked on the water, even when people struggled against the oars. And yet these people who were right there, these people who were right in the front, still couldn't see it. 
So Jesus challenged them in John 6, 67. He said to the 12 people, because he had been teaching in the synagogue there, he said, you don't want to leave too, do you? These 12, they're just, they're just kind of, they're like the, the Navy SEALs of the, of the disciples or the varsity team, if you will. They're the ones who've been Jesus' closest followers for a while. They, they, they were getting the front row seat every time. But even one of those was not pure. And most of these guys are some kind of knucklehead. But Jesus says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus replied, he just acknowledged, he said, have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the twelve was later to betray him. Peter made his declaration, Jesus, we have nowhere else to go. And the Lord made his declaration, he said, I know, but one of you is still a traitor. Jesus knew that even a front row viewer like Judas would turn from him. So what do we do with this church? What do we take home? Today, this Sunday, February 12th, 2023, what difference does any of this make for us? This whole Jesus is the bread. The spirit gives life, not the flesh. This this whole idea of people turning away and leaving and abandoning Jesus because it's just gotten too hard. What do we do with this, you and me? Got a couple ideas. We remember that Jesus has given his body for us. We remember that Jesus did indeed sacrifice. The son of God was not above pain. The son of God was not above cost. Jesus gave his body for us. That is a historical event. It has happened. And so because of what he has done, we can have life forever and no longer fear death. Because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to fear what will come. And church, some of you just need to remember that today. Because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to fear what will come. He is the bread of life. He has come down from heaven. He was given for us. And for those of us who receive him, he will, he has promised, he will give us eternal life and raise us up at the last day. We don't have to fear whatever it is that is coming. So what do we take home? Well, we we take home the question that, that he asked his disciples. He says, you don't want to leave, do you? Will you stick with Jesus? Those of you who have known Jesus for a long time, will you continue to press on? There are more and more people around us who don't want to hear what we have to say when we start talking about our faith or our beliefs or, or, or the way that Jesus lifts us up. There are people who don't care to hear about that. Will you press on, though? We can hear Jesus asking, you don't want to leave too, do you? Will you look to Jesus and believe? And then just finally, for those of you who have already done so, for those of you who have already said, yes, Jesus is my Lord, don't be discouraged by the grumblers. We've heard that word grumbler over and over today. The grumblers have always been there. And for a time, the grumblers will continue to be around us. But don't let your life be undercut or taken out at the knees just because some people grumble. Jesus dealt with that too, even from people who had firsthand front row seats. Don't be discouraged. Press on, church. Press on. Keep telling people about this amazing Savior who's given his life for us. Can we pray together? Jesus, thank you for being our Savior. Jesus, we love you. Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
Holy Spirit, thank you for coming and, and stirring in us so that we have the opportunity to look to Jesus and believe. And Spirit, I pray that you would stir in all of those around us. Lord, please give us success in our efforts to tell people about you. Lord, we want to see more and more people give their lives to you for their sake and for yours. Lord, help us as a congregation to go out from this place with whatever the rest of our day is and help us to have the name Jesus on our lips in a way that gives glory to your name. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us the scriptures that allows us to see how things were and allows us to stand on Jesus' promises about how things will be. Lord, please hasten the day when all will be made right, when there will be no more hunger, and no more thirst, no more pain, and no more, no more death. Lord, please bring that day. Help us to be faithful until then. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Congregation, will you stand with us as we sing our closing song? We're going to sing to the King. Now, here is, here is one thing you're going to notice tonight. There, there are going to be songs that break out at this football game. They may depend upon who is winning or who is losing, who the congregation, well, I guess it's a crowd there, who they think needs to be encouraged. You might hear something that sounds like fly, eagles, fly. You might hear something that the Chiefs, I don't know about their song. Who really cares? <laughs> but you know what people are not going to do? People in those stands are not going to say, well, I'm not a very good singer. I better sit this one out. People in those stands are not going to say, what's anybody around me going to think? They are going to stand up and cheer with all they've gotten, with every bad note they can sing, and they are going to sing for their team. Should we sing any less as we sing to our king? Something to think about as we come in this time of song now. Let's sing together, singing to the king. <laughs>